Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark and Mark, Daly and Hamilton here to recap the first Grand Prix of the 2021 Formula One World Championship. Mark, after all those weeks and months of uh, waiting, Bahrain is in the bag. And uh, well, you know, it's interesting, uh, but before I get your thoughts on this, I did run a little bit of a, a poll here. Well, not a little bit of a poll. I ran a poll on our Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod. And I must admit, I'm a little bit surprised at the feedback that, that this one uh, generated. So I, I put uh, that the poll was, the choices were, I should say, loved it, hated it, and meh. So, okay, so loved it is, is currently leading the poll at just under 69%. Hated it, 5.3%. Kind of surprised that there were some hated it. And meh, weighed in at a surprising 26 and a bit uh, percent. Now, now I, I find the meh you know, like a, a little bit uh, surprising considering that those last several laps were, were actually uh, kind of intense there. And uh, there, there was plenty of good action throughout the race, all up and down the entire field. So, you know, maybe if you wait in meh, maybe you can elaborate and send us a, you know, send us a tweet or send us an email and, and just elaborate because uh, I, like I say, I find that a little bit uh, surprising, but uh Gosh, I, look at this. You know, uh, you're sitting there wearing the Lewis Hamilton special edition lid. You know, I, I see it's on. You know, uh, for people that are watching on YouTube might appreciate this a little bit more. But uh, I just got to do something here. We can get underway at the show. Oh. <laughs> so so if this is the way it's going to be, you know, now I'll just, uh, for everybody that's listening to the audio feed, Mark's wearing the Mercedes cap. I just put on my Red Bull cap. I got Mercedes. I got Ferrari. I got them all. But uh, hey, it just seems sort of fitting that uh, for, for two guys that tend to see eye to eye on most things, I, I have the feeling that we should probably try and uh, mix it up a, a little bit. But Mark, I, I've kind of been rambling on here to start the, shar- start of the show here, but uh, let's get your two cents. What did you think of the opening round? round of the season. So 105 days since the last race in Abu Dhabi and boy did that winter go by fast. And <laughs> yep. like you I I was super pumped and super excited for this weekend, but I'll be very honest, I I think I probably speak for that 30% of the listener base that wasn't totally enthralled with this race or this weekend. And and for me, I think part of it is I was super emotionally invested, and I know we'll get to it, but I was super invested in Aston Martin this weekend, and this was a horror show. It was a horror show for Sebastian Vettel. I think Lance had a mediocre weekend. He, he qualified 10th. He finished 10th. Aston Martin picked up a single point. I thought that was disappointing. I think the midfield is what we thought it was going to be. It was a little bit broader. It expanded and Ferrari was okay. But you know what? At the end of the day, like if you hadn't watched the race and you just looked at the race classification afterwards and you saw Lewis and you saw Max and you saw Valtteri, you'd think nothing had changed. Nothing had changed. And and you're right. The last couple of laps were pretty exciting. But for me, at the end of the day, and I get it that this isn't supposed to be the transformational year that 2022 is supposed to be. Um, and I know people are really excited and very, very enthusiastic about the outcome of the race and the circumstances of the race. But for me, like I just I look at that race classification and I see Hamilton and I see Max. And it's not like Max wasn't competitive last year. He won a couple races. He DNF'd five times. He probably would have been in the mix a couple more times. Valtteri, and again, I know it wasn't all entirely his fault. He's four years back from them and then Lando Norris is back from then and then the rest of the midfield's almost a minute off the pace like for me it's like what changed 
and, and it was the same outcome. It was the same mix at the top. It wasn't good enough. And again, I, I know people are excited and that's great. Let's carry that, that momentum. Let's carry that excitement into the next, next race weekend. But I think some of the things that I was so eager to see this race weekend didn't happen. And I think a big part of that was going to be Aston Martin being part of the mix. And, you know, I yeah. talk so much about my concerns about Sebastian Vettel. He, he got, he got a five place grid penalty in qualifying and ultimately he made a terrible mistake and rear-ended another car by locking up his brakes. I think it was Esteban Ocon. Like for me, it it wasn't the race weekend that I expected. So I I kind of feel for that 30% of the listener base. What about you? Well, I, I must admit that I was very disappointed what we saw with uh, with Aston Martin. But l- let's give a, a little bit of context. Let's uh, let, let's just run down the, uh, the the final race classification. So we got uh, Lewis on top, uh, of course, winning the race. He got Max in second place, less than a second uh, behind, only three quarters of a second behind Lewis. You have uh, Valtteri in third, you know, way back, you know, almost forty seconds behind. Then you had Lando Norris. At arm's length, Sergio Perez in fifth. You know, I, I think a little bit of context needs to be sort of drawn to that, that we because talk about. you definitely need to talk about that. Sergio having some technical gremlins hitting him right before the start of the race ends up starting from the the the, the pit lane, and uh, well, yeah, I'm not, I'm getting ahead of myself if I go any further. Uh, P6 we have Charles Leclerc, P7 Danny Ricardo, P8 Carlos Sainz, uh, P9 I think one of the highlights of the day Yuki Sonoda and the uh, the Alpha Tauri oh I think God, was yeah. an exciting. Very very, very solid performance uh, from the, the the Japanese rookie in the Alpha Yuki Tauri. Yuki is going to be a rock star. I, he is going to be a superstar. I certainly hope so. I was very impressed uh, with what, what I saw from Yuki Sonoda. He had pace. He had racecraft. He had composure. Very, very mature performance for such a young man. Uh, P10, we have uh, Lance Stroll in the only Aston Martin to make it into the points. Way back off of the pace. Uh, just only a, only a couple of seconds in front of Kimi Raikkonen in the first of the two Alfa Romeos. P12 was Antonio Giovinazzi. 13th, Esteban Ockoff. 14th, George Russell. P15 was a Sebastian Vettel. Uh, a lap down. Uh, uh, Giovinazzi was the first of the, the classified cars to be uh, lapped. And then finally, we had uh, Mick Schumacher in uh, the Haas making his uh, debut. And then the uh, the cars that were classified as DNF was Pierre Gasly, who um, looked very good in qualifying, had a pretty good opening quarter of the opening lap uh, before losing his front wing. And that was one of my disappointments of the, the, the day. I thought that uh, Gasly had the potential to, to really kind of mix it up in the best of the rest. Uh, Nick Latifi in the Williams, uh, Fernando Alonso with uh, what was it, brake problems, suspected uh, brake failure, I think it was, and then um, the the first car that didn't even make it past the first corner, and this was just a, kind of a replay of what happened the entire weekend was the second Haas rookie Nikita Mazaspin, who had very <laughs> had lots of difficulty. I promised myself I wouldn't <laughs> laugh when you made that joke because it's so bad. <laughs> it's so bad, but uh, unfortunately, it was uh, quite a uh, you know kind of sums up uh, his weekend. Uh, I, I think. Uh, rather well it's corny there's there's another way to to put it but yeah so i i mean there's there's a lot to, to unpack there i mean like you say when you look at that especially that podium it doesn't look like that anything it changed i mean especially when you see that you know you you got verstappen between hamilton and bottas and his teammates you know he's he's top five but a mile back um let's just talk about the start
started the race because uh, that that really sort of um, really set things up. I mean, uh, Perez obviously didn't qualify all that great in the in the, in the Red Bull to uh, to, to begin with. Uh, Max putting it on pole position ahead of uh, you know his rivals and uh, Max and Lewis. I thought I thought to start the race they they both started uh, fairly evenly. I thought they had uh, good starts to the race. Max uh, held his composure, got into the first corner, and uh, despite some of the antics and you know we saw the safety car because of Mazepin's uh, spin and uh, you know getting stuck in the gravel and then shortly after they got back to racing a very short virtual safety car and so it took you know, it, it kind of had like that that first race of the season kind of jitters just based on some of the stuff we saw in the opening couple of laps. But once they sort of really settled into it, my immediate reaction was, my God, these Red Bulls have pace. This is something that uh, we, we haven't seen from them, uh, you know, over the past uh, couple of years. They've always been at arm's length. Uh, you know, Max, even on his uh, you know best days, was, to, you know, at, at arm's length. And, uh, you know, the, the one thing that gets lost when you just look at that final race classification is the fact that that lead did change hands a couple of times. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So you make a good point. And I think I probably, with my initial rant or my hot take off the top, I probably dismissed out of hand Perez's performance. And you're right. You know, if he'd been able to start on the grid and you're right, he didn't qualify well. He qualified 11th right behind uh, right behind uh, Stroll. But again, he was only a tenth of a second out of qualifying for ninth in front of uh, Fernando Alonso. But ultimately, he seems to thrive when he has these weird starts. Obviously, we saw this in Bahrain last year when he ultimately won a race and then we saw it again today. So I, I think if you calculate in the fact that Sergio started from the pit lane and he still finished fifth and he was still only six seconds behind Lando and still only 17, 18 seconds behind uh, Bottas, that does certainly bode very, very, very well for Red Bull. Um, that said, obviously they're second in the Constructors Championship right now. Um, so I think that's pretty interesting. I think the one other point too, and I, I know we'll get beaten up by our listeners if we don't mention this, and I know there was a lot of hot hot fury about this online, but that, that Mazepan start is, is unacceptable. And, you know, I was talking to my good buddy um, just a couple of days ago and, and his specific point was like, look, that the risk isn't him damaging his car or putting himself into trouble. The risk is that he is so unqualified to be driving a Formula One car, he risks the health of the other drivers. Mm -hmm. And you know what? He spun out just a couple of hundred meters from the front of the track. And fortunately, he was the, the back clear of any other vehicles. But he is literally a liability to other drivers at this point. And, and ultimately, he, he's, he's qualified to be in Formula One because he has a super license. He did what he needed to do in the lower championships and the lower formulas to get this. But he looks really poor. And I think a lot of this goes back to the fact that winter testing was too short. And, and mm -hmm. I think next year, we're going to see a longer winter testing. It would have benefited Vettel. It would have benefited Perez. It would have benefited Mazepan. But yeah, that Mazepan start was poor. Um, he he simply doesn't, I think, yet understand the grip or how to rotate these cars or manage the back end. But my fear is that he's going to be in a position where he could hurt other drivers or impact or compromise somebody else's race. But ultimately, he's not going to qualify particularly well. So he's not going to necessarily impact the race of somebody at the front. But but yeah, you're, you're right. There's definitely some interesting things. And, and if you look at the race classification, right? Like Hamilton jumps to first, qualified second. Bottas qualified third, finishes third. Great race for Lando. He qualified seventh, finishes fourth. Sergio Perez qualified 11th and then gets stuck from a pit lane start and finishes fifth. That's a great start. Charles slipped a couple of spots. Ricardo slipped a spot. Sainz finished where he qualified. Um, Yuki managed to move up four spots. And again, first Japanese racer to score points since 2012. 
himself, uh, first rookie driver to score points in his opening race, and who knows? Like he, there was all sorts of firsts associated with that guy. So you're right. As much as I'm disappointed with the outcome, at least in terms of the podium, there's still a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll do so as we take our first break here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, well, welcome back to the show. Mark and Mark here, breaking down the Bahrain Grand Prix. Round one is in the bag and only now, what, 22 races to go if, uh, you know, touch wood uh, all goes well here. But uh, got a couple of weeks off. Uh, it's, uh, you know, three weeks until uh, we get to... Uh, uh, Imola on the 18th of uh, April and uh, well, that's a little bit uh, too much of a, a gap so early in the season but it is what it is uh, definitely this uh, left me uh, somewhat uh, salivating for a rematch uh, between uh, Lewis and uh, and, and Max uh, Verstappen you know what one of the big things uh, I, I think we need to address uh, right now we, we've kind of glanced over some of the uh, the, the issues uh, and, and stories going in uh, you know that that happened in the race day in the first segment but I think that the, the one thing that really bears uh, talking about now is one of the big talking points that uh, that really came up at uh, the end of the race was all this uh, track limit uh, thing at turn four. And, you know, I, I find it, uh, it's really quite frustrating. And, uh, you know, we did have a couple of uh, emails on, uh, you know, on this topic. One of them uh, was uh, from Paul Edgar and, you know, very well, uh, you know, uh, spoken, uh, you know, uh, the, the one thing that, uh, that Paul had to say, he kind of sums it up nicely. He says, uh, this won't sit well with the fans. I'm sure it doesn't sit well with someone who's been a fan for decades. Race control or Red Bull control Control crew screwed this race. I only hope it gets better from here. So just to explain a little bit more, and thanks for the email, Paul. Um, that, uh, that that we should explain was that they had uh, designated uh, you know the the track limits at te- uh, turn four, and you know times were deleted here and there. And this is one of these things. You know if they're 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 tightening up on the track limits, you know it's not just for practice. It's not just for qualifying. It's not just for the race or a portion of the race. It's got to be the whole damn weekend, right? And the the thing is that uh, that I find really interesting. About about it. it was the Mercedes cars that were really pushing it, uh, going over the curbs and uh, exploiting those track limits throughout the race. They were warned uh, from the pit wall not to do it because you know they're they're going to you know they were expecting to get a you know a warning from race control at some point. And I, I find that it was uh, you know very strange that uh, they allowed it to, to go on so long as they did before that warning finally came because you know like I say it, it, it's either in effect or it isn't right. And that's why I think when it finally came down to that uh, that that battle between Max and Lewis right at the very uh, end of the race in those last couple of uh, laps, and I mean the track really flows uh, through that section. I mean Max was doing everything to get around Lewis. I mean it was a great dice between the two. I mean don't don't get me wrong. And then so 
So uh, Max got the position a couple of corners uh, later, he gave it back. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is interesting because uh, some of the things, uh, you know, that came out in the, uh, the, the aftermath uh, of that was Christian Horner said that uh, it was the, the right thing for Max to do to give the position back. Max said he would have preferred to keep going. He felt he had the pace. Maybe he felt he could open up uh, to see if he could open up a couple of second gap, maybe five seconds or and hope for the best. And then maybe get a time penalty, uh, you know, which probably also wouldn't look good in the eye of the new fans. Uh, you know, if he gets uh, the, the race winner has his, uh, you know, uh, penalized and uh, loses it. And then Total Wolf, team principal of uh, Mercedes, said that the track limit rules can't be what he called a Shakespeare novel, uh, <laughs> saying that they have to be uh, sacred. You know, I, I don't discount and I, I don't want to take away any of the, sincer- uh, the, uh, the, the sincerity and the uh, genuineness of what uh, Total Wolf is uh, trying to say. However, to me, it rings a little bit hollow when it was his cars pushing the limits and, uh, you know, throughout the race before that warning finally came to, uh, you know, you, you know, guys cool it, you know, you can't do that anymore. If you do it again, you're going to be in trouble. And then ultimately, you know, they, they benefit from it uh, because, you know, the, the one time that Max really pushed it, although he was kind of pushing a little bit uh, too at one point, uh, you know, before he was even uh, challenging it, but it seemed kind of ironic uh, that uh, by the time it came down to it, like the, the, the real turning point on the race happened at turn four and it was all about those, uh, you know, the, the track limits there. So, you know, very interesting, uh, you know, comments coming from not only within uh, Red Bull, but also from uh, Mercedes. But on this, you know, I, I did say that uh, I, I find that Toto's, um, you know, comments ring hollow for me. I do think that uh, he's being sincere. Uh, but I, I do agree with him that, uh, you know, they, they have to be what he said, sacred. I mean, that, that's why I say, you know, if they're going to enforce uh, track limits at a, per- a particular section of a track, uh, you know, each and every Grand Prix weekend, they have to do it right from the start, right till the checkered flag is waved at the end of the race on Sunday. There, there, there can't be any, any other way. Otherwise, it comes across as Bush League, right? Yeah, Will Buxton had a, a tweet, and I should retweet this, but he had a tweet earlier today that said, track limits. The problem, as I've always seen it, is that the second you make allowances, you create the opportunity for confusion and inconsistency. Yes. All four wheels over the line is either permitted or it's not. It yep. needs to be black or in white. You can't be half pregnant. And, yep. and somebody else kind of followed up with a great comment as well and basically said, like, look, it's like Hamilton said on the radio earlier in the race. The track limits weren't there. And and as a racer, I'm going to exploit that if it's not being enforced. And I don't necessarily blame Hamilton Bottas because they they kind of began to respect track limits when they started to regulate and govern it a little bit more closely. But as a driver, if they're not doing that, I am going to exploit that and I'm going to push the limits as far as I can. And I don't blame them for that. But I do blame the stewards for not enforcing it from the jump, right? Like you, you you can't allow Hamilton and Bottas to potentially potentially carve out a lead by exploiting track limits for 20 or 30 laps before you start governing it. And then you basically compromise potentially Max's win because he knows at that stage in the race, he's going to have to give back the spot or get a penalty. You know what I mean? Like, so as far as, as far as the listener's concerned, and it was Paul, I believe. Yes. Totally, totally. And one, thank you, Paul, for the email. That's fantastic. But totally agree. Like this yep. is, has to be black and white. There can be absolutely no, no discussion about it. 
Yeah, and I think that uh, Will Buxton's tweet, uh, you know, is perfect. It, it sums it up. I mean, it it either is an infringement or it's not. And like you say, I mean, I I don't, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to hate on uh, Lewis or Valtre for pushing the limits and trying to to gain that because I mean, you're you're going to try and pick up speed and 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 time where you can. And you know, if you know if you're getting away with it and they're not enforcing it, why wouldn't you do it? And I mean, like I say, I think Max was doing the same thing a couple of times uh, that that I saw on the feed uh, during the race. So they're all going to do it. It's just uh, it's the inconsistency that I think that uh, that that just drives everybody rightfully crazy and the, the the lack of application by the race stewards. So I think that's absolutely a fail on the part of the the, the stewards. But also to pick up on Paul's point was uh, you know from race uh, from, from Red Bull from the pit wall, and and perhaps this was the case. You know we we don't know. I mean we can sit here and and uh, and uh, and uh, sort of speculate about it, but uh, you know when you see all these behind the scene uh, footage on uh, drive to survive and things like that it seems like christian horner will you know protest at anything it's like well no those aren't the official socks that the mercedes guys are supposed to be wearing with their uniforms this year and you know they, they launch a protest about it you know it, it just uh, seems kind of interesting that uh and again i mean we, we haven't heard anything to the contrary that they weren't on the you know the radio to uh, michael massey the race uh, director is like what about track limits you know maybe this will come out in the wash but uh it uh it, it seems a little bit uh, funny too that uh that they weren't uh you know more vociferous about it but you know also in defense of uh, christian horner i mean i can see why he would see you know that that uh, max giving the, uh, the 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 place back was the right thing to do i guess in terms of uh, sportsmanship and you know playing fairly by the rules i don't know what, what's your take on on max saying that uh, you know he felt like he should have gone on and you know taken his chances and if it came up under investigation and then uh, you know maybe see what happens at the end of the race if he's given a time penalty what, what yeah do you make i wish of that? he had I, I absolutely wish he had. Uh, you know, I, I think the consideration was that given the state of Hamilton's tires, there was a very strong likelihood that he probably could have found a way past him anyways, and then this whole conversation would have been moot. But I think from Verstappen's perspective, he felt confident that he could have built a five-second gap in the laps that or the the few laps that, that remained. And ultimately, if they did choose to penalize him, which I think probably would have happened, it probably would have been a five-second time penalty, and he still would have won the race. Now, I think... To some of your earlier points, I think the optics of that to the broader viewership would not have been ideal, right? Like, so he did cheat, but he still won and he was given a penalty, but it wasn't sufficient to cost him the race win. So I think that the, I think the outcome was probably the desirable one in terms of not brewing up too much controversy on the rate first race weekend of the year. But I kind of wish he pushed, you know, and again, <laughs> I, I respect the fact that he has enough respect for Christian Horner in that organization that he's going to listen to them. Um, and I think there's probably a lot of drivers out there that wouldn't have done that in those circumstances. Um, but ultimately, I, I think just for the sheer entertainment spectacle, I wish he'd done it. Um, but ultimately, I can appreciate why it potentially would have been a little bit damaging for the uh, this sport. From your perspective, would would you like to have seen him push? And you know what? Hey, you know what? I made the move. I'm, I'm all in. I've got nothing to lose but a five second time penalty and I might just finish second because he's not going to finish worse than second no matter what the penalty is. They're not going to give him a 37.8 or 37.383 second penalty to bump him <laughs> back to third. But uh, do, you, do you think he did the right thing then or would you like to have seen a different outcome? Well, I, I definitely have a thought on this and I'm going to weigh in on it just after we take another break here on the Overtime Media Network. Uh, don't go away. We're breaking down the uh, 2021 opening Grand Prix of the year at Bahrain. Stay tuned. We'll be back in just a moment.
All right. Well, welcome back to the show. We're recapping the all the action from uh, the Sakir International Circuit for the opening round of the 2021 Formula One World Championship at the Bahrain Grand Prix on Sunday. And just before we went to the break, uh, we were just talking about uh, Max Verstappen and the whole incident uh, where he had to, uh, when he tried to pass Lewis Hamilton, a couple of laps from the end of the race and then ha- ended up having to give the position back. And uh, Mark, you threw it back at me. I asked you what uh, you, you thought about that, whether he should have pushed on for the, and taken his chances with a, with a time penalty and maybe losing the race uh, that way, or whether or not uh, giving the, 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 the place back to Lewis was the right thing to do. And honestly, uh, in the moment, I, I thought that uh, he should have pushed on, but uh, after having a couple of corners worth to kind of digest it, and then uh, I, I thought that it probably was the right thing uh, to, uh, to do. You know, it is interesting because, uh, you know, Max was uh, saying afterwards on uh, race radio, uh, it said, quote, uh, why didn't you let me go? I could have easily got the five seconds. I preferred to lose like that than to be second like this, end quote. And uh, apparently uh, race radio, race control was right away on the the, the, the radio to the pit wall at uh, Red Bull saying that uh, he had exceeded the track limits. He's have to give the position back. So I, I think, uh, you know, I mean, in, in the heat of the moment, it's a little bit uh, different. But when you have this uh, perspective to, to hear what uh, immediately happened, that uh, it probably was the, the, the right thing uh, to do. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a it's kind of one of those situations you're damned if you do damned if you don't I mean he could have maybe gone on and won the Grand Prix uh, and then taken his chances with the with the penalty but like you say it would have left a bit of a, a bitter taste in the mouth and especially for the Gen DTS all these new people to the the, the sport that are like really excited and and, and checking out maybe the, the, their first Grand Prix ever would just would have been a, a completely confusing situation not that that weighed into the decision from from the race control to uh, you know hand or tell him to give the the, the spot back but it was a bit messy and uh, like we were saying a little while ago it all comes down to the inconsistent uh you know application of uh you know the 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 track limits at turn four so i mean this whole incident i I really lay squarely at uh at the at the race director at the stewards that they should have been right from the very first lap of the race right to the very end uh, that they should have been more more, uh, consistent uh with it Uh, but you know, it, it was interesting too, just to, to hear some of the the, the feedback afterwards uh, from from Lewis and uh, from uh, Max uh, Verstappen. Uh, you know, Lewis said that the last couple of laps of the race were were horrifying. Obviously, Max his tires were what about ten laps newer, fresher than Lewis's at that point, and uh, he was really pushing as uh, you know fast as uh, he could. I mean, he he basically very politely told his race engineer to to to, to keep quiet. <laughs> he said, "Leave it up to me, Bono," or something uh, something like that at that point, uh, but. You know, it was a really, uh, you know, it, it's something we're, we're not used to seeing, right? And 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 even though that uh, perhaps a lot of people would have liked to seen uh, Max Verstappen win that race, the one thing is that we're, we're we're not used to seeing Lewis have to really fight off a rival like that. And hopefully, this is just not that one incident that we're talking about at the at the end of the year, saying, oh, you know, that would have been great if Max could have, uh, you know, attacked and fought Lewis all season long, and then you know before Mercedes uh, kind of got back into their groove and started uh, dominating again. I mean, let's just, uh, you know, cross winger, uh, fingers and all that uh, and hope that uh, this is just a taste of things to come because I, I felt it really quite exciting and I thought the buildup over the course of the entire race as they kind of changed position due to pit stops and undercuts and overcuts and all the, you know, all the strategy that were going on, the battle of the minds between Red Bull and Mercedes, I, I thought it really made it intriguing. It was definitely a different conclusion. And and it's funny, as you were talking, I kind of had a flashback to, I can't remember if it was 
the British GP or the 70th anniversary Silverstone GP last year, but we had a, a similar circumstance last year where Max was hunting down Hamilton um, in the last few laps, and Hamilton ultimately had a puncture but still managed to limp across the line. The circumstances here were different, right? Like mm-hmm. they were both healthy cars. Hamilton's tires were dramatically older, I think 10 or 11 laps older than Verstappen's. And we should probably point out to, to our listeners that are new to Formula One that the, the tires that these cars run are very different than the tires you go and throw on your uh, Volkswagen Tiguan or on your <laughs> Ford Explorer every couple of years. These tires are designed to last a fraction of a race. Um, we talk about compounds and compounds are the chemical composition of the tires, but they're designed to become very, very sticky when hot, um, which helps provide a significant amount of grip to the car. But ultimately, they deteriorate very, very quickly. So in the case of Hamilton v. Uh, Max uh, today, uh, Hamilton's tires were only 11 laps older, but that would be the equivalent of five years of road wear on a traditional road car. Like they're massively older. Um, and that's why Max was able to catch up to Hamilton so aggressively over those last couple of laps. And ultimately, that's why it's so remarkable that Hamilton was able to keep his position. And I think we saw, and I think it was the second to last lap, you saw Hamilton go super wide on a corner because as your tires begin to deteriorate to the to kind of the, the extent that Hamilton's were, you, you can't corner as quickly, which means that you have to take corners more slowly. You don't have as much braking power, so you have to start your braking zone much, much earlier than you would otherwise have done so. And it ultimately gives a car that has newer tires the opportunity to get past you in a corner or to ultimately kind of overtake you on a straight because you have to start braking much, much, much earlier. So I thought that was... Was, uh thought that was pretty interesting. But yeah, so I, I, I again, I, I don't want to downplay or contradict what I said off the top. I still thought as a whole, this was an underwhelming race weekend for the reasons that I stated. I think the conclusion of the race, the battle between Hamilton and Max is exactly what the sport needs. And I hope we see a ton of this throughout the season. And I was just, and I know you're going to get there, but I was just looking at the constructors championship and I was just looking at the driver's title. Uh, Hamilton picked up 25 points today versus Max who picked up 18. Holy moly. That's, that's seven incredibly important points. And ultimately this is a championship that could get come down to five or 10 points. Right. Mm-hmm. And yep. for Hamilton to be able to hold back Max, you know what? six, seven, eight months from now, we could be looking back on this weekend as the reason why Hamilton was able to hold off Max. And ultimately, maybe he wins by 100 points. But again, these could be seven crucial, crucial points in the uh, the grand scheme of things. Yeah, absolutely. And let's just uh, quickly run down the driver's standings after uh, you know the, the the first round of the season. It's pretty straightforward, obviously, with only one race in the bag. Uh, as you said, uh, Lewis on top uh, with uh, 25 points. Uh, Max Verstappen second with 18. Valtteri Bottas um, from Mercedes, 16 for P3. Lando Norris, I think Lando had a very solid uh, weekend, a very solid race. I mean, really outpaced his teammate. Great uh, weekend. Yeah, absolutely. He's uh, fourth with uh, 12th and uh, Sergio Perez in the second Red Bull uh, and rounds out the top five uh, with, uh, with with 10 points. And then, of course, on the constructors, we'll just run down the top five. Uh, Mercedes on top with 41 points, Red Bull second with 28. And then, of course, I mean, that really highlights the, the that uh, fact that Perez was not able to qualify well and then ultimately uh, run as far as he wanted, or as, as good as and, and as high in the race order as he wanted to during the race. And I mean, he did very well to get back to where he did. I mean, don't don't, I'm not going to take anything away from him, but I mean that's already a, you know. I mean it's 
I wouldn't say substantial, but it's a noticeable uh, difference, just that gap in the in the constructors. And then P3, McLaren, uh, 18 points, uh, Ferrari, 12 points, and then Alpha Tauri, two points uh, that were earned today by uh, Yuki Sonoda. And um, well, let's uh, just uh, switch uh, gears here, uh, Mark. Uh, I'm going to uh, start it now before we go into the uh, the, the, the break here. Uh, Lando Norris, I, I think he looked really, really good. He was kind of scrapping with his teammates uh, in the opening laps of the race, but uh, he quickly uh, found... Uh, uh, you know, found his groove. I think he looked uh, very, very competitive. Obviously, uh, there, there's a big gap uh, between uh, McLaren and uh, Mercedes and Red Bull at the moment. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I liked what I saw from Norris. I, I liked what I saw from Ricardo to a lesser extent. But on the whole, I felt uh, it was a pretty positive weekend for for uh, McLaren. Yeah, excellent weekend for Lando Norris. And I don't give this kid a- enough credit because he doesn't have the same... He doesn't have the same room presence and he doesn't have the same kind of loud personality that maybe some of these younger, other younger drivers have. And I think yep. he's probably going to be overshadowed a little bit this year just because he's racing on the same team as Daniel Ricciardo. But I thought McLaren put in a, a great weekend. And, you know, Daniel slipped a place in the race classification versus qualifying. Ultimately, he qualified sixth and fell to seventh. But Lando qualified seventh and moved up to fourth. He, he had a fantastic weekend. Uh, he looked incredibly composed. His racecraft was excellent. Um, his his tire management was great. I, I love the way that he was rotating the back end of the car, um, particularly in the later stages of the race when his tires were more compromised. I thought he looked fantastic out there. I also got a good chuckle out of uh, that one point where he waved a Latifi as he was overtaking Latifi <laughs> at some stage during the race. I, I just thought he had a great weekend. And, and you know, you're right. Like we predicted, or I think we predicted ultimately that it was going to be a Mercedes Red Bull McLaren one, two, three in the constructors championship. And it's probably no surprise that after the first race weekend that's exactly what we uh we ultimately saw but i thought he looks great i think he's going to be an absolute rock star i i haven't given him enough credit over the last couple of years i thought he was a very consistent very solid very reliable driver who doesn't become overly emotional doesn't typically make mistakes mm-hmm. he's very good in the early stages of races in terms of tire management when those tires are cold and again for our listeners the beginning stages of the race can be a little bit tricky because your tires are a little bit colder. They're not up to temperature. Um, you have to manage them a little bit differently. He's typically very good in the early stages of the race, and that definitely played what kind of played into his hands today. But man, I, I thought McLaren put in a very, very, very solid race weekend, and they came out of this race weekend with 18 points, and I don't think they're going to complain about that. Well, definitely not. I think that uh, at least based on the first race of the year that uh, Danny Ricardo might be uh, breathing a sigh of uh, relief, uh, you know, getting a, a P7, bringing home some points, a double point finish uh, for his team, where his old team Alpine slash uh, Renault, uh, you know, uh, Esteban Alca was a very unimpressive 13th. And of course, as I mentioned uh, earlier in the show that uh, Fernando Alonso, he would, didn't even finish the race. Uh, he wasn't even classified at, uh, you know, because of a brake issues or whatever it was. So I think uh, at least based on the the, the first uh, race of the season, uh, Danny Ricardo uh, must be uh, breathing a sigh of relief. Hey, we're going to take uh, one final break here on the Overtime Media Network. We're going to come back and just uh, tidy up a couple of other things I want to talk about. I just wanted to, to get your thoughts on uh, on uh, Ferrari. Also, just I uh, want to talk quickly about uh, Fernando Alonso and uh, whatever else uh, we've got. Got one more ma- email from the mailbag. We'll talk about all that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. All 
All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And Mark, I just wanted to get uh, your thoughts on uh, Ferrari. Uh, my my initial take was, okay, they weren't as horrible as they were to start last year's uh, season, but uh, not really lighting any fires or really anything super exciting from them. I mean, Charles Leclerc had his uh, moments, but ultimately, I mean, he finished sixth, so well down the race order. A decent uh, result uh, from uh, his teammate, uh, uh, Carlos Science making his debut for Ferrari. He finished in P8. But let, let, let's face it, at the end of the day, sixth and eighth really aren't the reason why Ferrari go racing, why they're in Formula One. So ultimately, I'd have to say that this is very, very disappointing for them. I, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I thought, especially Leclerc qualified relatively well. He, he qualified on the second row, which was nice to see. Again, still seven tenths off Max. Max qualified extraordinarily well, but I thought he looked pretty good in qualifying. Ultimately, Carlos wasn't as as good in qualifying. I think he was four-tenths or half a second behind uh, Leclerc, which wasn't ideal. And I think that's probably something that you and I predicted. And I think everyone predicted that Leclerc was going to put in some better performances this year just because of his familiarity with the car, et cetera. Um, but ultimately, I thought Ferrari looked relatively racy um, in, in the early going in yes. this race. And then they seemed to just, they, they just seemed to off. fall back. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I totally you know agree. I mean? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and and I and I thought I thought the chemistry was obviously good, and I thought there was I thought that the the decision making was very good, but yeah, their pace just seemed to fall off very, very, very quickly, and and I can't determine whether it was tire decision or if it was strategy or or what, but you saw in qualifying that they had the ability to be much faster in the straights than they were, and I can't I can't for the life of me to put together why there was such a disconnect, especially for Leclerc between qualifying the race, and again, it wasn't a disaster; they both finished in the point. That was probably better than I think they would have done last year. Uh, they're fourth in the championship right now, but ultimately, yeah, they, they looked racy and then they just kind of fell off. So definitely yeah. not the Ferrari of 18, definitely not the Ferrari of 19, definitely not the Ferrari of 20, but also not necessarily the team that I thought they could possibly be. And, and I think if you look back to our predictions last week, we kind of thought like, hey, their ceiling's probably third, their basement's probably sixth. Eh, they're kind of in there somewhere, but yeah. I was just a little bit disappointed because of Leclerc's strong qualifying, strong start, and then the fact that he just kind of fell back, and I don't really know why. Yeah, the the other thing I couldn't uh, help uh, but think uh, during uh, you know during the race was that uh, you know maybe once uh, Ricardo gets a couple of races under his belt, he really settles into the team, he really gets used to and familiar to the car. That that delta between him and Lando Norris is going to close because I mean Norris, he's been with the team for a couple of years. I mean he, this is what uh, season three for him now. I mean he's not a rookie anymore. He's got his sophomore year under the under his belt. I mean he's a seasoned Formula One driver. He's got a lot of races under his belt now. The thing that that, that he has in his benefit is uh, the, the the fact that he's used to the car, he's used to the team. Whereas Ricardo, he's he's had limited uh, chance to drive this car like everybody else. You know, making a switch uh, this year and limited, uh, you know, miles during testing and all that. And I couldn't help uh, but think, especially when you hear uh, some of the comments of uh, Charles Leclerc saying that he was very surprised that the the the, the pace that McLaren have. I mean, we have to remember that they're running Mercedes power now uh, compared to Renault that they've had for the past uh, couple of seasons. And I think that obviously was was it was a big boost. So I, I think that there's a lot of uh, potential 
potential to see from uh, Ricardo. I, I think that McLaren is right uh, about where they want to be. And uh, I think that uh, maybe under certain circumstances, I mean, uh, Norris was ra- running as high as third at one point. I mean, I, I would definitely think that uh, w- if things work their way, that they, they could probably get a couple of podiums uh, this year under the right uh, circumstances. And uh, and, and knowing uh, Ricardo and the, the, the good racing driver that, uh, that he is, I expect to see him kind of percolate up uh, through the race order a little bit uh, too. I still think it's obviously going to be Mercedes and Red Bull, and that's going to sort of shift around. Uh, you know, it, it might go back and forth all season, but I think that uh, looking, you know, and of course it's a very small sample, but uh, you know, I, I think that is a very positive what we saw from uh, McLaren right now. But I want to, I don't want to dump too much on uh, Ferrari. They they definitely have made some progress from from this time last year. The thing is that uh, it, it's baby steps. It, it's not like a huge uh, sort of quantum leap uh, back to the top of the grid to compete with Red Bull to complete uh, compete with the uh, Mercedes where we've been used to seeing them over the past uh, number of years. So, you know, this is still going to be one of these sort of I guess uh, you know, in between year, maybe they might have the 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 opportunity to to do something uh, on uh, you know if things go their way. You know, I, I kind of want to throw so all this uh, you know science and engineering and planning that goes into Formula One. I kind of hate to throw the random sort of uh, you know variable of well luck <laughs> if that luck goes their way that they might get a result. But you know, honestly, that might be just uh, you know their their only real hope the way that things are, and then uh, really throw their lot in with the the, the new cars that are going to debut and, next year. And just just to add to that, I think Ferrari has been very clear mm-hmm. that their expectations for this year are muted, right? Like yep. we talk about them oh, for as sure. if they should be competing for podiums. I think Ferrari has very effectively projected this understanding that they're building for 2022. Yes. And if they secure some podiums this year, great. But I think anything they achieve this year is gravy. And, and they've been very good about kind of kind of projecting that image. So 2022 is what they're working towards. And you're right, this is kind of like a gap year for them. And if they score some points and they finish in the top five, that's great. It's just something else to build on. But I don't think internally uh, they have any expectations that they're going to be competing for a championship this year, not by a long shot. No, I I, co- I totally agree. I think you raise a great point. And, and, and just to be clear, this is not something new. This just wasn't, uh, you know, Mattia Bonato after the end of the Bahrain Grand Prix just coming out. Oh, guys, you know, this is not going to be our year. You know, we're re- really looking forward to next year. He's been saying this over the months, even going back to last year and other you know, the, the big wigs at Ferrari have been saying the same thing that we're going to do our best to get this thing turned around but ultimately we don't expect to become really competitive to a year or two maybe you know down the road even uh, you know, certainly not until the new new cars and the new format debuts in 2022 so you know it, it's positive steps uh, compared to where they were at the start of the 2020 season but you know ultimately I think if uh, you're a Ferrari fan yeah you, you're maybe encouraged but a very, very small uh, degree. Uh, anyways, I just want to move on to uh, Alpine and uh, just uh, talk quickly about uh, Fernando Alonso. I-, I thought that, uh, you know, ultimately from from him, it was disappointing that uh, that he uh, uh, he uh, retired. Uh, he did say that he felt uh, he had fun. I mean, he he claimed uh, P9 in, uh, in qualifying. I thought it was a pretty decent uh, comeback for a guy that's been out of Formula One for a couple of years. I mean, he, he looked, uh, I mean, he was mixing it up there, you know, uh, w- when he was out on the track and then just uh, you know, just fell away completely, uh, disappeared, and ultimately uh, retired. Um, <clears throat> but I, I think you know it was a decent return for the uh, you know the two-time world champion. Excellent, excellent for again, despite the way that the weekend ended, and I believe there was some debris that got trapped in one of his brake ducts. But I think the the race weekend was a success. Um, ultimately, he gets to Q three in his first race weekend back. He qualifies P nine ahead of Lance Stroll, which is. 
incredibly, incredibly frustrating for Aston Martin fans and those that have really become emotionally invested in that team as I have. Um, And I think if you're Lawrence Stroll, you're probably spinning in your grave, although I think he's probably still alive and well, so he's probably spinning in his office. Yeah, exactly. Maybe Sounds like he is a Monty Python weekend. sketch. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I thought it was a great weekend. And you know, you look at his sectors in Q1, Q2, and Q3 of qualifying, he looked um, excellent. He was only three-tenths of a second out of qualifying P7, which would have been absurd. Um, and ultimately, he looked relatively racy and stable and, and reliable on track. And unfortunately, it was ultimately just a mechanical failure that that cost him uh, a race classification. But, you know, given the fact that, to your point, that he's been out of the sport for two years, hasn't been in a Formula One car in a competitive way in 27, 28, 30 months, I thought it was a, a very, very solid race weekend. And it's not just that he was out of the sport for two full seasons, but this is a guy that's 40 years old, right? This mm-hmm. is a guy who who was racing in Formula One when some of these kids were literally in their crib, right? Oh, exactly. Um, I thought it was ultimately a, a very good weekend for him to come back. And I think it was a statement weekend, and I think he would love to have finished in the points. I think that would have been excellent. He's going to finish in the points a lot this year, but I think this was a, a bit of a statement weekend that he could come back after two and a half years in a mediocre car and qualify P9 was a, a pretty, pretty good message to send to the rest of the field. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm sure he must have listened to our podcast the other day when I when I picked uh, him to finish behind his teammate Esteban Alcon, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but seriously, you know, the, the, the thing was that the, the question that I was really interested was, uh, you know, a couple of them was, uh, of course, you know, he's been, like you say, out of Formula One for a couple of years. He's 40. My, you know, but by saying that I expected to, to see him finish behind his teammate Esteban Alcott was more to the point is how big is that gap going to be? Now, I must right. admit that I was very, very surprised that Esteban did not make it out of Q1. He qualified 16th. Car, uh, sorry, um, uh, Fernando goes on to, like you say, qualify P9 and in the race. Uh, Alcon, he finishes that race, but he didn't really, I mean, the only real thing of note that uh, Alcon did during the race was get rear-ended by Sebastian Vettel into turn one. Totally. I mean, he had a very anonymous performance on Sunday. And his, his qualifying was poor. It was. Like, it, and again, maybe there's some, some mitigating circumstances, but he qualified P16 with a 131 eight or something terrible i just and you know i just want to interject because i thought this was kind of funny and i sent you this on instagram by the way but you've never once responded to one of my instagram (laughs) messages so i'm just going to assume you forgot your password (laughs) i'm the worst uh, instagrammer in the entire world Uh, guilty as charged F1 put out this awesome uh, a message earlier today, and it says the ages of current grid when Raikkonen and Alonso made their debut in 2001. So Yuki was nine months old. Oh my Norris God. was a year. Um, Michael Schumacher was a year. Mazepan was two. Stroll was two. Russell was three. Leclerc was three. Verstappen was three. It shows the, <laughs> the age of these two drivers. It's incredible. And I didn't mean to interject. I just wanted to share that because I thought it was kind of funny. Well, now I'm extremely depressed uh, that, that I'm an old man. So I think we're just going to end the show and just... Uh, I'm going to go away and sulk for a little bit, but uh, God, isn't that an amazing statistic uh, when you look at that? But I mean, you, you just don't, don't forget. I mean, uh, Kimi Räikkönen as well. You know, that same generation. I mean, they were the kids that the you yeah. know the, the, these guys like Lance and uh, George Russell and uh, Yuki Tsunoda and all, all these guys. You know, these youngsters that are just uh, breaking into the sports now. That they are the guys now that Fernando and Kimi were in the early 2000s. That that is really uh, an eye opening one. That uh, really kind of blows my mind. 
mind, but yeah, you would have seen it earlier if you checked your I Instagram know. DMs. <laughs> well, uh, moving right along <laughs> from this awkward moment, uh, but uh, let's just go back to one of the uh, one of the old guys in the sport, Sebastian Vettel. You talked about him right off the top of the race. <laughs> very, very uh, frustrating and, and disappointing weekend for him. Uh, he didn't qualify, didn't make it out of Q one. Got uh, you know the investigated for uh, ignoring or that uh, yellow flag incident because uh, we saw Mazepin spin off, which uh, in turn one, which uh, brought out uh, yellows. Then uh, Carlos Sainz was having um, you know issues that brought up more waved yellows. So he uh, didn't get in his hot lap. Ultimately, you know, he he didn't make it uh, because of that. Uh, and then he had the penalty applied on top of it. And uh, just uh, during the race, I, I mean, he showed a little bit, uh, you know, at one point, I mean, they were talking to Otmar Safnauer, the team principal at uh, at Aston Martin, who seemed uh, somewhat, uh, I would say, cautious in saying that uh, he was hoping they could get both cars into the points. Ultimately, Lance just kind of sneaked in there to, uh, to to score some points at the end. But uh, Sebastian, you know, just uh, did not look good. And we had another email from uh, another, uh, e- uh, pardon me, another listener, Ben Nyland. He's also a Gen DTS, and um, he, he talked, he weighed in on about uh, Vettel. And uh, he had to say, I thought it was a very good uh, comment. Uh, he said, I would like to uh, weigh in on how people view Vettel, depending on what he does at Aston Martin. I believe that the fans who have been around uh, for a while and saw him dominate the sport for years will always be able to remember that and give him the benefit of the doubt. Now, for the recent fans, especially Gen DTS, I believe we need to come out and have a strong year or two with uh, Aston Martin because we've really just seen a guy who's getting towards the end of his career and almost needs to move on. Okay, well, I, I, want, I want to interject. Yeah, I absolutely. Go for it. Thoughts here. I totally, totally get it. And I totally agree. Uh, and my fear, and I was talking to my buddy Randy about this on the weekend, I think you as well, that look, you know what, some of some of Vettel's performance last year could be attributed to the garbage power unit, the drag issues, <laughs> et cetera. But Leclerc ran circles around him. And, and and so you can maybe give him the benefit of the doubt for last year, but I've not seen anything of him yet in the Aston Martin. And I'm genuinely worried at this point. Like, I just, yeah. I don't think yeah. he's just forgotten how to drive, but I'm, I'm genuinely worried right now. And I'm no longer willing to to give him the benefit of the doubt because I haven't really seen him racy now in a year and a half, two years. Um, and to be honest, I haven't really seen him racy since halfway through 20, I guess, 2019 when that power unit fiasco came. So how, how ultimately, how, how artificial was his performance potentially in 2018 and 2019 when they were running that illegal engine fuel map, right? Right. Like how long has this been Sebastian Vettel, 2017, 2016? Like obviously he was, his performance was artificially enhanced for a couple of years with Ferrari. We all Mm -hmm. know that last year, that enhancement aid was removed and he had a very poor year. And of course there was a whole bunch of kind of psychological issues I'm sure that were at play as well, but I haven't seen anything with Aston Martin. And I think, One of the things that I think ultimately Formula One is going to have to look at doing is we're going to need longer winter testing because my fear is that if you're going to have drivers that change teams or you're going to have drivers that come up from the lower formulas, they need more time to get acquainted with the cars. And you saw this all over the place this weekend. You saw this with Sergio Perez. He struggled to get a whole kind of get the car together prior to the actual race. You saw this with Vettel, but I totally agree. Like I can absolutely understand why this gen dts is not willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because they've never seen anything other than this guy that we all talk highly about but finishes in the bottom 15 bottom 20 in the race classification so totally get it 
Well, I mean, you could even uh, go back as far as 2014, the the year, this final year of Red Bull, when he was partnered oh, up yeah. with uh, with Danny Ricardo, and Ricardo came out on top uh, in, in in that year between the two teammates. So, you know, but people re- were making the same excuse from that year too. That whole yeah. psychological, he's leaving the like, yeah, yeah. that's a great point, great yeah. point. So, I mean, you, you could really dial this one back. I mean, it it, it is really a, a real stark contrast to see you know the, the the weekend that he had to the weekend that uh, that Lance had. I I thought that Lance had you know despite the P10. I mean, we know that they've got some issues with like these low rate cars and the new rules and, you know, Mercedes and Aston Martin feel like they're the the, the two teams that have really been impacted the most. But, you know, I, I, I was pleased with what I saw with Lance. Ultimately, I was a bit disappointed. He only managed a P10, but kind of seems, you know, about right with where the car is right now. But I mean, he looked racy. He, he was mixing it up, but he didn't, you know, do anything stupid or get involved in anything that he shouldn't have. And I think uh, ultimately, like I say, P10 might be disappointing for Lance, but uh, I think that, uh, you know, it was a well-earned point. You know, it's just disappointing for him that it, that it wasn't more. And uh, whereas, you know, I, I'm very buoyant and, and pleased with Lance, uh, you know, notwithstanding, it's just, you know, completely the opposite spectrum uh, <laughs> to what I saw from Vettel. And uh, like uh, like you were just saying, I mean, it, I'm genuinely concerned with what, uh, what I'm seeing from him as well. He needs to turn it around uh, really damn quick or it, we know based on what we've seen of uh, some of the more, uh, you know, uh, personal, uh, you know, images and videos and clips of Lauren Stroll and DTS uh, season three, that uh, th- this is a guy, he he's not there to screw around. He's in Formula One to win. He wants to win as soon as possible. I mean, I know they've set this five-year sort of time frame to win a championship. I don't think that he's going to 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 to... to sort of hang on in any aspect of this operation in this team any longer that he needs to, if he feels it's holding them back from where they want to be. You know, I was thinking about this when I was out running yesterday. You'd made that great comment last week when we were talking about the Drive to Survive <clears throat> recap, and you'd made that comment about the fact that it's clear after watching Lawrence in these boardroom sessions that if Lance was to underperform, they would cut him loose. I, I got to think it might be the other way at the end of the season, right? Like maybe it's not Lance that they ultimately, and again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. There's 20, 22 races left in the season. There's tons of time, tons yeah. of time, but ultimately maybe the conversation is reversed, right? Like, Hey, Sebastian, very well we be. gave you a seat and it's not working out. We'll buy out the rest of this deal and we'll move on. And, and again, it's super, super early and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but maybe the conversation's the reverse of what we thought it could potentially be. Well, j- just before we wrap it up here, and I know this is kind of backtracking, uh, you know, when we did the, uh, the, the bonus show last week about uh, DTS uh, season three, but that uh, initial uh, scene where they're in the uh, in the boardroom and there's this very nervous looking engineer Simon starts talking about that and the way that Lawrence was like glaring at him and kind of drilling him all the on, on the details. I'm not kidding, dude. I was sitting, I was sweating. I felt intimidated. This is something that happened almost a year ago. <laughs> so I thought it was a very interesting uh, kind of peek inside the operations at, uh, at at Aston Martin, and really just over the entire run of the 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 entire series, the uh, you know that the, that entire season, really convinced me that, uh, that, that this is 100 percent not a vanity project. I mean, he's invested serious money not just in the race team, but also in the in the road cars that uh, that that he. He wants, uh, you know, th- this this is something that needs to happen and has happened as soon as possible. So, yeah. Anyways, I, I think that's all we got. Uh, any other points that we want to touch on before we wrap it up? Uh, one other thing real quick. Um, 
I thought it was really interesting. And I don't think this is people something that most people would have picked up on. And to be totally honest, I didn't notice it myself. I'm stealing this from another podcast. But <laughs> in the race classification on the left side of the screen, when you say the, the order of the racers, yep. and they typically preface their position by the last three letters or the first three letters of their last name. So you'll see Ham, Bot, um, STR for Stroll. I thought it was very, 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 very cool that uh, Michael Schumacher's decided to go with um, MSH um, for Michael Sh- or for uh, Mick Schumacher, basically kind of building upon what his father did. So um, obviously his father wasn't able to use, because he raced at the same time as his brother, he wasn't able to use the last three letters or the first three letters of his last name. He had to use the first letter of his first name and the first two letters of his last name. But I thought it was cool that as kind of a tribute and to honor his father, he asked for the race classification to use that order of letters for his name. So it was kind of cool when you see the race classification that you saw that and like, oh yeah, just like like his dad was. But I thought that was kind of cute, but other than that, nothing, uh, nothing yeah. particularly crazy. I, I, I must admit that I thought it was really cool to see the MSC up there as well. I, I noticed MSC, that, that yeah. yeah, it popped out right away because, uh, like you say, back in the day, it was MSC and RSC, you know, for Michael and Ralph. And I kept uh, thinking that, you know, because uh, you know Mick had a bit of an off there as well today, and of course uh, struggling in in that house. And I thought, uh, I hope uh, by the time this is all said and done, that uh, we're comparing him more to Michael than we do to Ralph, you know, in terms of uh, you know where he sort of fits into the. Uh, you know the uh, what do you want the pantheon of, uh, of of Schumacher Formula One drivers, but uh, yeah, certainly uh, I'll, I'll, let's just say for the based on the weekend that Mick Schumacher had, he can only go up. And uh, you know, d- d- despite the legend that his father was and the legendary uh, you know debut he had in Formula One, you know, there, there's a lot to live up to uh, for for Mick Schumacher, and uh, certainly look forward to uh, what he does uh, not just uh, at Imola but uh, for the rest of the time that he's in Formula One. And I think with that, Mark, I think we're done i i certainly have uh, nothing else to add and uh with that uh, you know thanks uh, guys for weighing in on the poll thanks for the emails and the tweets we'll be back in a couple of days with the regular show if you want to get in touch by all means do so send us an email at scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com or on twitter at scuderiaf1pod and that's it that's a wrap enjoy the rest of the week enjoy your monday hey long weekend coming up that's uh, definitely something to look forward to and until the next time we speak have a great uh, you know stay safe do all those good things we'll talk to you guys soon bye for now